Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with episode number 184 of The Yacking Show. The Yacking Show is brought to you from Ontario. And co- I, first, I must welcome Kathleen as co-host. Uh, hi, Kathleen. How are you doing in Waterloo today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And, and um, I, I've gone off script. Sorry, sorry. I've gone off script a little bit. I've got to tell you that the, the reason for the Yacking Show is to enlighten you, to enable you, and hopefully to entertain you, but above all, to give you a new perspective for the changing world we're living in. And things are changing. And our guest is involved in some major changes today, but it's I don't want to steal his thunder, and it's not my job to introduce guests because Kathleen does it way better than I do. So first, over to you, Kathleen. Thank you, Peter. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. We'd love to hear from you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today, and this one's really exciting. I I can't wait to delve into this. His name is Dave Schultz. Dave, first of all, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Kathleen. I'm excited to be here and talk with you guys. So appreciate it. Excellent. Now, you are the founder of NextLinks. It's an indoor golfing software that blends real gameplay with cutting-edge technology, creating an exciting and fun experience for players of all skill levels. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. But first, for our audience, can you give us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in bringing golf into the digital age? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I'm one of those sort of stories about a person that has a corporate job and is making a good salary, but sort of feels trapped by it. Um, Starting in 2008, I would say, you know, so I joined the Navy when I was 17 and and went through that. And then I went and got my electronic engineering degree and finished first in my class at a great school in Southern or in sort of central California, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, So their motto is learn by doing. And so my, my whole life is sort of about learn by doing, right. That's sort of a characteristic. So I went into corporate America and I ended up being in the oil and gas and energy sector and aviation sector. And I had a lot of really big jobs, right? Global jobs, leadership jobs, um, but I just wasn't fulfilled. And then 2008 hit um, and we we got stuck with a lot of personal real estate assets as like a family. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I just realized at that time, I'm like, wow, now I'm going to be doing this for another 10 years. Um, And it, it, sort of changed the way I started thinking, you know, I, I also have to credit, you know, Barack Obama, um, because in 2008, he gave a state of the union speech, um, somebody should look it up and watch the little part, because it was when we were in like the max crisis, right. So I was feeling as sorry for myself as I could feel. Um, and all of a sudden, the president comes on and he says, Hey, you guys wake up, the only way out of this is if everybody gives, you know, just a little bit more. Um, and I was like, you know, so it's kind of like my moment where I decided at some point in my life, I was going to find, you know, this purposeful action to take and, and make my mark on the world. And it turns out that golf is my common thread, right, from being a child, all the way through my corporate world, the advantages that golf gave me in, in corporate America, you know, all of that stuff combined. And then all of a sudden, this business model um, called Top Golf shows up. They've been around since 97. They were formed by a couple of brothers in England. Um, but in 2014, you know, they got the capital to really scale. And now there's like 70 or 80 of these things in the United States. And 
that creates culture change. And, and so now all of a sudden I realized in about 2014 that the culture of golf was going to expand beyond the traditional golfer, right? There was going to be this new fringe audience that, you know, sort of another ring, if you will. And then I realized the size of the ring was about 20 times bigger than the entire golf industry. And I went, oh, wow. And so I just saw their game and I said, wow, their game isn't that exciting. I'm an engineer. I solve problems, you know, and then I came up with my idea for the game. And then I pitched it to a couple of people and I realized, wow. And that was St. Patrick's Day 2015. And I haven't really taken a minute break since then, you know, building a new sport, really, for the masses to enjoy. Wow. That, that is an amazing story. Amazing story. So. Dave, I played golf many years ago. I'm I'm old now. When I was in my 30s and 40s in the corporate world, uh, way back then, it was the thing to play golf. And I played for a good few years, never got very good. And then when my kids got into their teens, they started playing and they were easily beating me. And I, I gave up because I, <laughs> that was hard to take. And I didn't have the time to put into it. But I, I look at and, and I see golf as in, in a, a crisis, if you like, because it seems it's caught between rising real estate costs, um, the fascination of electronics for a lot of the younger generation, and people having less time than they did 30, 40, 40 years ago. So is your system, do you think it's changing golf? Or is it saving golf? Or is it doing both? <laughs> well, it's, it's creating a new product. So I, I, I spent, there's, there's a tool in, you know, so I'm a like what they call a Six Sigma master black belt. And it's a, it's problem solving, right? So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a corporate problem solver. So I have a very methodical approach to how to solve problems. And, you know, I, I came up with a solution in, you know, like October, 2015, that says that golf needs a new alternative of itself. That's much more approachable, right? It solves like nine critical problems. I, I, I read all these mm -hmm. industry studies and I, I just figured it out and I said, wow, and that's why Top Golf is, is popping, right? So that helped me understand, you know, there's this pent up audience for golf that they can't access it the way it is. But if you give it to them just a little bit sexier, um, you know, and, and golf has such a positive quality. Those of us that have had golf in our lives that appreciate the value of it, um, think, of, think of it as, as a wellness tool, right, for mm -hmm. ourselves. If you, if you look at Steph Curry or, or uh, Michael Jordan, I mean, these guys were on the Ryder Cup doing like an eight minute interview saying that golf is more important to them than basketball and always really? will be 100 percent. Very interesting. Wow. So before, you know, some of our audience members may not be familiar with NextLinks. So first of all, let's let's start with that. What is NextLinks and how does your system differ from other indoor golf systems? So, so NextLinks is really still a vision if you think about product development. So NextLinks is the vision for this sport where you play all of your full power shots into these traditional simulator screens that are, you're beginning to see expand into sports bars and stuff. But, but then at some specified distance, you know, that's away from the cup, call it 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards, whatever the venue can allow, you transition out of that simulator world into a real playing field. And the soft, the so, yeah, the software we created connects those two experiences together. So I, I filed for a patent on what's called transition software from virtual play to a real world environment, and I and I code and I codified that over the last seven years. So the the product that we have in the market that's proven, right? So I didn't have enough money to build that whole thing, right? I'm just my guy. I ended up with a team of six. We were burning like sixty grand a month because we thought we had some good projects coming. This is like three four years ago, and then. 
those projects didn't manifest and we had to shrink down. But all along we've been building, uh, you know, I, I've been pivoting smaller and smaller trying to get what you think of as the sort of the missing pieces. So the, the missing pieces is how do you solve just the putting element of that? Mm -hmm. So for, forget the simulator, right? Everybody knows what those are. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you solve the putting element where everything that anybody's ever seen, you have to walk around these putting holes. And so I was looking at the top golf model and I said, well, the putting model has to be just like the top golf model from a social standpoint. So instead of that area where you're hitting the ball, that's a putting green. So, so now how do you, how do you pick the right size putting green? How do you turn that into two or three hours of family entertainment in that same space? And, and that's what we actually finished. So we, we opened a real project um, in the city of Indian Wells near, you know, Palm Springs. And uh, the city invested about a half a million dollars when we were still, you know, a laboratory incubator, just figuring it out. And they let me sort of create a beta site at, the, at their site that they commercialized, right? So they ran it. They have all the food and bev. They have all the operating teams. Mm -hmm. They did all the marketing. Um, well, it's turned into a, just a smashing success. And what we did is we showed how you can create sort of putting on a court, right? So if you think of pickleball, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. right, the, ide the ideal golf court is about the size of a pickleball court, right? But what we've done is we've invented the software, which is these beams of light that shine down so the answer to how you do all that is you create interactive games so we have like an ipad kiosk that you look at and there's like nine games and, and the game that i like to talk about the most is the one that's most like real golf because at the core that's what this is all about the others are all additional games that you can play just to have fun right that you're still learning how to putt every mm -hmm. every time you're playing our games you're playing with a real putter a real ball just like you would on a real golf course on a real putting green with real contours so, so the only challenge was how to turn the electronics of that into an interactive game. And so it's an iPad screen. You pick your game. The game I like is called the Next Links Challenge. And the Next Links Challenge is a multi-level game. It's nine putts. There, there's, you know, each, you can assign whatever you want for par, but in our little game, everything's a two, two putt. So, you know, even par is 18 strokes instead of 72 in traditional golf. And it, it's all putting. Um, but what's fun is the way we pick the games. So we put ourselves in the mindset of a skilled golfer and on a green that's, you know, perfect, like you're a real green. And we say, how would a golfer want their nine different holes to be laid out on this course? Right. And like, so the example I like to use is when I played a lot of golf, you, you, you know, you get on the green, you got like a 15 foot birdie putt or a 10 foot birdie putt. It's generally flat. That's your first putt of the day. And as a golfer, you're like, I got to drop that in. That's going to be, you know, that's going to affect the course of my round. And so we do that. We do that on all nine putts. And so we created a game in 2015 that my team and I played every single day for like two years before this Indian Wells thing even started. Wow. Um, so, so, yeah, so here we are in 22. And finally, the market conditions are right for me to scale it into the market. So I'm, I, I don't have, I didn't have enough capital to scale i didn't have so all i was focused on is is adding value using my skills of being a product development specialist right i'm a, I'm a global supply chain expert i'm a product development expert mm -hmm. you know i've got this abundance of training that, that i received you know in in leadership and in execution and so i've i've just been envisioning this big empire of of this new sport you know, that, that zips past pickleball, but, you know, pickleball wasn't even here when I started my project, right? So I've, I've watched them sort of arrive and begin to scale. And I'm thinking, oh, when I have my time, that's going to go a lot faster. 
I can see I can see this having a tremendous market. I mean, everywhere, yeah. especially in the cold climates during winter months, where I, I see it here where we are in Canada in, in the winter months, the indoor golfing clubs here just boom, right? Because that's right. People want to play. It's, 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 it's one of the few hotspots mm-hmm. where simulator play is actually very popular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Believe- just to, <clears throat> I'm trying to get my head around this and I, I, I'm sort of thinking this. Sorry, it takes a while. Remember, I've been doing this for seven and a half years uh, without a day. I know, but, but <laughs> I, I can really see, see how it would be. It would be really interesting. And, uh, way more attractive than than just everything simulated so yeah. but what what size venue do you need how, how many foursomes do you need to try and accommodate at the same time do you need a big or, building to put this in no so that's been a big part of my process is is you know so i started out in 2015 showcasing my vision for a big building right a full-scale mm-hmm. building that competes with top golf right because that's what i wanted the market to see and I, and I was hoping people with money were going to run over to me, right? When you're a brand new entrepreneur, you just think everybody's going to come and support you and give you money, right? So I, I showed this vision for the future. And then, you know, I learned over the last seven years that nobody gets here without the grind, right? Yeah. But, but, yeah. but if, you, if you know that going in, which I did, you sort of just take it all in stride, right, along the way. So now we've got the products that, you know, so when you think about product development, at the end, you have a product. So the only mm-hmm. product that we have that's proven. So now we have a product that's ready to scale. It's a putting zone, right? So yep. just think of it as think of it as a pickleball court that that could go in a hotel lobby that could go in a sports bar mm-hmm. that, you know, that's that's about a hundred thousand dollar project if you do it first class. Right. Right, right, right. But, but, okay. but, 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 but I've, over the course of the seven years, I've developed the whole content from large scale venue vision with the connected game all the way down to delivered product in the form of this putting only experience. And the putting only experience okay. is what the market is hungry for right now. So I'm, I'm thinking of all kinds of ways to bring that to market right now, Peter. It's, it's getting really exciting. Yeah. Oh, that I got it. I got it. That who are you going to who are you going to target? Traditional golfers, uh, and as Kathleen says, up here in the northern cold parts, I'm sure traditional golfers would jump at this. Or is this going to attract a whole lot of new people who come at it more from the virtual reality, digital game side of things? Yeah, both, hundred percent, both. Right. So the, that's the whole key. Is if you look at the top golf model, right? It's it's they've got the social perfect. Their food and bev is awesome. Their catering. This is all about special events, right? That's how mm-hmm. these venues make their money. Yeah. Um, so so they've they've just figured out you know that model really well, and you know so we're just you know I'm just kind of paging onto that. Excellent. Very good. So Dave, how are you going about marketing this at this stage? So I, I, I didn't assign any marketing budget for myself, right? So I, I relied on experience. So I, I started in 2015 reading all kinds of books about success, right? Because I had this big vision. I see this big empire in the future and I'm not willing to settle for anything less, right? Um, because I think the world deserves it, not because I want to go get a bunch of money, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so I read these books and, and they told me how I should behave and how I should act. And, and then I read a book by Seth Godin called Tribes. And mm-hmm. Seth, Seth Godin goes on to tell people, hey, you don't need to be AT&T or Topgolf, you know, in, in my case, to, to 
bring the audience to you. You, you can build your own tribe. And so I, so I chose LinkedIn because I already had a network of global business people that thought of me as a real business person, right? And here I am at, at 50 years old, just quitting my job in a minute and, and literally telling everybody, I'm going to go change the future of golf. I'm going to sort of assume a leadership role and, and I'm going to deliver products, right? So everybody thought I was a little bit off the rocker. And when I reflect, I was, right? So when I think back, but to answer your question, I've been, I've posted a, a post every single day for about seven and a half years. It's one of my habits. Wow. So I, 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 yeah, I, I just chose one platform. I built an audience underneath it that appreciates the work I'm doing. And now as the market is arriving and people are beginning to pay attention to golf, all that value is sort of paying off. So. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Are you, um, out of curiosity, are you communicating with a lot of um, golf clubs around North America? To, yes. I, I... Yeah. So the, the National Golf Course Owners Association, right? So that was my, remember at the beginning, I was thinking about marketing a lot, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The, um, so I settled on the National Golf Course Owners Association and their CEO is a guy named Jay Karen and he's a friend of mine. Um, I, I spent about $250,000 at their launch party in February of 2015. So trade shows has been another, you know, I, I put in some real money into trade shows. Sure. And, and so I went and spent a bunch of money like everybody does when they're starting their business to try and get attention, right? So I spent about a quarter million dollars at his show in, in San Diego in February 2016 he was the incoming CEO and I was sitting in the audience with like 200, 300, you know, golf course executives and, and owners. And that's my audience, right? I see these things going into clubs already. That was my conclusion. And Jay gets up there and starts preaching basically my business case for mm-hmm. the future. Hey, let, let's do something different. Right. Um, and every word he said just resonated with me. So I'm just sitting there shaking my head the whole time. And so I've watched him, you know, for seven years as CEO of the NGCOA, and I'm really impressed. That guy, he, he's a good leader. He knows what he's doing. And so, yeah, he's Excellent. so I, I, I've built relationships, Kathleen, is a Absolutely. big part of big part of my process. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you in business. It's all about the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Dave, as, as a, a former golfer, and I haven't touched a golf cup for years, and I'm sure for many of our audience around the world who are not that closely involved with golf, until I read some of the background you gave me before the show, uh, I had very little, and I didn't really understand what the controversy was between the, the new league, LIV, the, and the PGA. And as Kathleen mentioned right as we started off, um, <clears throat> it's hit the news again with a court case. But could you give our audience a little bit of a background and your thoughts on, on the, what's going on in professional golf? Yeah, I mean, this is the ultimate making a mountain out of a molehill, right? So this mm-hmm. is trying to this is trying to prevent emerging competition on the part of the leadership of the PGA Tour, um, and basically assigning this new entity as a as a bad actor, right? As an evil, no good group. And the reality is that that they started their company in 2018. You know, we introduced golf to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Aramco is the big oil company over mm-hmm. there. In the, in the 40s, our American executives working over there hand in hand with them were introducing them to golf by mixing oil and sand together and creating greens. And, and so they've developed a real passion and a love for the game and they wanted to get into the game and they approached all the right people. They started with Tiger. You see in the news how Tiger passed mm-hmm. up seven or 800 million. Mm-hmm. Well, that was early in the process. So people don't read the, you know, all of the content often. 
And so that was when they were first realizing that, hey, golf needs to spread the, the golf professional farther around the globe. And, and, and the golf professional is, is central to the U.S. market. Um, what I didn't know back then was that the actual PGA Tour commissioner, like think of it, oh, sorry, think of it as yourself, Peter. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have absolute authority over every one of your members to say whether or not they can participate in anything outside of the batch, if you will. Right. So if I like you, I can if I like you, I can let you have special favors. Ah. And if I don't if I don't like you, I can even though you're a great golfer, I can punish you. Um, That's my that's my right. That's in that's in the laws of the PGA Tour law books. Um, the, the, The other one is you can't be on TV playing golf without permission from Peter, the commissioner. Ah, Um, okay. Those two laws, laws, those two membership rules have been on the books for 92 years. Wow. And yeah, and and, and between 1990, so when this all came up, by the way, until six months ago, I had ultimate supreme faith in the leadership of the PGA Tour, right? You believe what you're told and and Mm -hmm. everything seems right. Everybody seems happy. So I'm, I'm not a guy that's against the PGA Tour. I'm just observing what's going on because, you know, sometimes you have to just face the truth. Um, which is these guys went after this emerging competition and they're still doing it, just trying to shut them down mm-hmm. um, because it's their only plan. And, and it, it just doesn't fit with who they are as a company. So when you, when you hear about companies that get away from their purpose, right? So, so the purpose of the PGA tour, I, I bet you, I, I, like I've been thinking about it a lot. So by showcasing golf, the, the, by showcasing the world's best golfers, um, we engage, we inspire, um, and, and have a positive impact on our fans, on our, um, partners and our communities worldwide. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's the mission of the PGA tour. And, and then the PGA tour created a game plan that said, wow, this new emerging competition, that's actually really good for that mission statement. We, we don't want it to happen because we don't own it and, and <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so 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 we want to squash it so that we can do it ourselves later right with and, and own it yeah. ourselves so if you that i mean and and honestly what everybody so i've i've educated myself right a lot so when i when the bells and whistles started going off in my head like what's going on why is my why is my tour that i've loved my whole life all of a sudden turning players against players and fans against players and fans against fans I'm like, that, that just doesn't make sense. And, uh, and so that's when I went and really studied what happened in the history of it. And and so now I know, and it, it, all of the power lies just with the commissioner. So the, 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 the players have four sort of shares of the, of the power. The other business members have four sort of shares of the power and the commissioner is the tiebreaker. And for 92 years, the commissioner plus the four business people vote as a pack. Right. So, right. Player, players don't have any power. Yeah. I, I mean, I've so got that's, a that's what's going on. <laughs> I've got a feeling something on a smaller scale happened 30, 40 years ago. I lived most of my life in Africa, and I lived in South Africa for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And a man called Sol, a hotel magnate called Sol Kersner started a company called Southern Sun Hotels, and then he started Sun International. And he, I believe he started the world's most lucrative golf tournament at Sun City with, it was the first tournament to offer a million US dollar prize for the winner. And he invited 
was it 12 or 18 international golfers. And I think he got a lot of flack from the PGA right at the start. And I, I seem to remember they tried to prevent that happening. But it was widely broadcast on TV to an international audience. And he got away with it. And it eventually became a very regular and popular uh, tournament. Uh, and I think it expanded to other courses in South Africa. I don't know if it's still going. But I, I seem to remember that the establishment didn't like that at the time. Do you remember that? So, yeah, so I, the memories are coming back to me, right? Yeah. So I, I was actually in college from, like, 90 to 95. Right. Um, you know, I had kids, remember? I went in the Navy first, right? So all of a sudden, I remember all this talk about this world tour. that, And I, and I remember as a fan being excited about it. And then I remember yeah. hearing the politics. And so, remember, this was a four-year – I remember saying, oh, wow, the PGA Tour is going to have to change their rules. That's what I remember saying. Because all this stuff was explained in 94, because it was a four year investigation by our Federal Trade Commission that got shut down um, by the politics. Right. Hey, don't yeah. look over here. Don't look over here. You've got more important things to worry about. And then we paid lobbyists to send that message. And, you know, the powerful people that are involved in golf, you know, oh, yeah. don't. Yeah. And and back then it was more arguable that there wasn't enough players. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the yeah. key premise, the, the key difference between today and then is back then I remember thinking, wow, this could really do harm to golf because there aren't enough great players. Um, right. Today, as a golf fan, there isn't enough access to the great That's players. Right. That's right. <laughs> they can't get an opportunity to play. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's just a different problem, supply and demand. Sure. Kathleen, back to you. So, Dave, how is your business structure? Do you see this as a franchise going forward? So I, I told you, I, I don't see it as a franchise. I, I, I'm doing business with honest people that have money and have opportunities and locations that, that want to help, you know, that want to bring our work into their place. Um, so I, you know, over the course of all this, we've now shut everything down. So I told you we have a product. Mm -hmm. Well, I couldn't, I, you know, about January, I was really pushing to get capitalized and the money just wasn't there. And so rather than continue to burn resources, you know, all of my team is on furlough, right? You know, I, I'm just kind of organizing to scale and, and my key is, is getting the right partners, right? So now I have, you know, multiple projects coming forward. There's a project in Dubai we're working on. I just got word that there's a project in Washington that's funded. Um, all of a sudden, all my, you know, you plant seeds every day for seven and a half years and, and you know, when it rains, it rains. And, and so all those, I don't really need to market now because the industry and the market is now recognizing the body of work um, and they, they trust me, right? So when, back to philosophy, right? You, you have to watch Simon Sinek's video if mm -hmm. you never have. Um, yeah. Start with start with start why. Start with why, right? yep, very good. Yeah, it's, it's like a 15 minute video and it, it really just explains that people, consumers buy things because they trust the company that's providing them. They trust their purpose. Right. So, mm -hmm. so if you believe the PGA tour is doing good, right. Like their mission says, it doesn't matter what product they put on the table, you're going to want to buy it. Right. right? So, yeah. so that's what I've been doing is creating that core center of, of purposeful intent mm -hmm. um, and a vision and a vision for a company and waiting for the right you know, people. So I, I've sort of been whale hunting, right? As I've been pivoting and, and you know, the whales have arrived. The whales have arrived. So, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I, I got a normally on these on these shows we we have a burning question. Number eight is the burning question, and I I'm going to change it around a little bit for you. And this wasn't in the list that we were going to ask you. It's it's just hearing you talk. You you started with a vision many years ago. Um, you were highly successful in several careers before that, and you've you've just listening to you've overcome obstacles and got round corners and just pushed this project for so long to success. And you've talked about problem solving. So if you were advising a young 20 or 30 year old who, who wants to leave the corporate world or who doesn't know what he wants to do, but he has a vision, what do you think is the biggest characteristic you've had or personality trait that's got you to where you are today? How would you advise that young person? Uh, I would tell my story, which is I got connected to this out of some universal energy, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm I was, I was playing, you know, I knew I was looking for it from eight until 15, right? So I ended up having my idea in 15 and I was thinking about it since 2008, right? So be patient, I guess, would be number one. Yeah. Um, but, but once I was attracted to this idea, I couldn't get it out of my brain. And I thought, wow, if I apply all my life skills, I'll be able to do this better than anybody else because not only am I good at it, but I care about it, right? So it's, right. it's what I would... Remember, my problem is I couldn't retire early enough because I wasn't going to have my retirement savings got wiped out. So, yeah, you, you, you look at a guy like Vince Scully, right, who we just lost, who was a broadcaster till he was 88. And then he just mm -hmm. died at, at like 92 or 94. Um, got to spend some really quality time with his family in the years in between. But he loved what he did so much. He you know, that wasn't a job for him. So mm -hmm. so you have you have to you have to find something like that. And there's a book. So what's cool about my story is I just did it right. I knew I had the skills. I studied the market. I knew that the conditions of today were going to arrive. Um, I just knew it. Um, and so I just started going through my process. You know, I filed for the patent, you know, but, but then as I was getting closer to quitting my corporate job, I was still doing all that stuff. Right. I filed for the patent while I was in my corporate job. And, and then I told my boss shortly after, and I told my boss because of the real answer I'm going to give you. Is, is as I was reading every, you know, everybody's stories about success, one of these guys said, hey, I've never met anybody that's really successful right at the level of success I'm trying to achieve, but it's really anybody's success. I've never really met anybody that's uber successful that hasn't read, read this book that was published in 1937 from Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, so, and so the minute I read that, I'm like, well, crap, I want to be uber successful. And I haven't read that book. I haven't even heard of it, right? I'm 50 years old. I don't even know that book exists. Um, so I run to the bookstore, you know, immediately, find the book on the shelf, because it turns out it's one of the most popular references for success in the history of the world. Yep. Um, and I start reading it, and it starts talking about dreaming and sleeping on ideas. And I'm like, oh, this is nonsense, right? Chapter one. And then as I'm going through it, it starts reminding me of, of what I've actually been doing sort of subconsciously, right? Going through my own process. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then I get to chapter six and it goes, oh, by the way, if you already had your idea, you can forget, forget everything you read in chapter one through chapter six. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, thank God, right? I mean, I can remember this stuff like it's yesterday. Um, and, then I, and then I keep reading it. And I'm like halfway, two thirds of the way through the book. And I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's literally what I just did for the last six or nine months. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so what that did for me is it created faith that mm -hmm. the rest of that book must be legitimate. It, mu it must right. have value. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Um, so, so what I did is I looked at all the things I didn't know yet, right, in that book about, um, you know, how to succeed. So my what I did is I actually shaped my entire set of characteristics for the last seven years around 31 rules of failure. So this guy studied like this, this guy studied like 10,000 failures during yeah. our sort of highest growth period. Um, and he boiled it down to 31 common reasons for failure. And, and so as a scientist, right, me going into an experiment where I'm going to risk my life, I'm like, okay, if my, the if my theory is that if I, if I do the opposite of each one of those 31 things, or I, or I do what's supposed to happen um, to not fail, um, then it's a given that at some point I will succeed. Um, and, and so a lot of those are kind of characteristic human character things, integrity, values, and and so moral of the story is you have to have a lot of character to succeed. You, yep. you, you, ha you have to be willing to do hard things. And, and so I had about a $250,000 a year job. And as soon as I got done reading that book, I called my boss um, who was remote. I was the, you know, I was the leader of my shop and all anybody really saw was my numbers. But I knew for the last six months, I'd really just been spending a lot of time on this idea. And I knew at that moment that this was my life. Um, but I was nowhere ready to quit my job at all, right? So, but I had to call my boss and tell him that I'm no longer really doing my job, right? So I so immediately picked up the phone, said, boss, I'm not able to focus on my job anymore, but if I have to quit right now, it's going to cause extreme pain. Yep. He, he gave me another nine months before he asked me to quit. He said, you know what? Just make sure your numbers are coming in. Make sure you're communicating with your team. So I also had to tell my entire team that essentially, you know, I'm gone. Yeah. And, yeah. I'm, and, I'm, still, and I'm still getting paid. The beauty is I just, I just spent the previous two years building a team that knows how to run their own business. Because when I arrived, they wouldn't do anything without asking permission because, um, Sorry, I'm going to stop right after this because this is really important. I grew up military, right? So the right. way people run run businesses, command and control, right? It's a, yep. it's the it's it's the way business has been run for most of our lives. Right. Um, That's right. Today's workforce is not interested in no. command and control. No. Um, so so I started adopting empower and entrust um, as a method for my leadership with my team in LA that I ran the shop. And so when I arrived, they wouldn't do anything. They were afraid of their shadow. And I started challenging them to, to take risks. And I said, look, the only way you're going to get in trouble from me is if you take a risk and it goes the wrong way, you just don't explain what you were thinking, right? What, what, what were all your decisions that you made that caused this to happen, right? And then mm -hmm. did you learn mm -hmm. from it and did you move on? So over the period of my team, you know, really, and I, we, we really bonded, right? Because all of a sudden they felt empowered. They liked their job sure. better. Um, so, so, you know, they gave me about nine months of runway as well. So the, you know, the, the real answer is go buy the book and believe it because everything it says is, is a thousand percent accurate. Right. Wonderful. Thank you for that. That yes. was really good. And I and that book is on that bookshelf. One of those bookshelves behind me. <laughs> on my bookshelf. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, I took a lot of your time there. So let me go back to Kathleen quickly. She needs to ask you how people can get you. Yes. Um, yes. We're running low on time, unfortunately, Dave. So tell our audience how they can contact you. Well, we sort of covered it during the the thing, right? So I I, I adopted LinkedIn as a platform. Um, because I was already a global business leader mm -hmm. and I already had 
you know, relationships all over the world. And I read this book from Seth Godin called Tribes, right? So I, everything about me is on LinkedIn for the last seven and a half years. I mean, I've got articles on there. Um, so if you want to know what's happening in the world of Dave Schultz and NextLinks, just connect with me on LinkedIn and, and you'll, you'll have a live feed. Excellent. Thank, Thank you. you. And for for audio listeners, that will be in the description. Uh, Dave's LinkedIn connection is in the description. Thank you, Dave. Yes. Thank you, Peter. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you all once again for tuning into our show. And until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.